chapter 7, one word we're going to look at, and that's the word judgment. Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse number 1, and we'll read through verse number 6. Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged, and with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that's in your brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in your own eye? Wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in your own? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam of thine own eye, and then you will see clearly to cast out the mote out of your brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. So we're going to work on that word judgment. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, what a blessing it is to be able to look into the scriptures. We pray that this evening you would speak to all of our hearts. We want to understand what it means. We want to apply it appropriately. We want you to have your way in our hearts and in our lives. And then, Father, we pray that you give us wisdom in the middle of all of this. These things, oh God, we do pray for in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Undoubtedly, I'm sure you have all had someone at one time or another say to you, you're not supposed to judge. And if you make any kind of statement that they perceive to be negative, they call it judgment. Well, it's always good to be able to look into Scripture to see exactly what it is the king is saying, because very often people will quote half a verse or half a sentence. Rarely will they look at it in context to be able to give some background. But in the greater context of this, the Sermon on the Mount, which begins in chapter 5, verse 1, begins with the Lord on the mountain top with the disciples, and he opens his mouth and he begins to teach them. It's a very, very lengthy teaching. There are a lot of wisdom precepts in this, a lot of teaching where he expands on Old Testament beliefs, and then he helps people to see how to apply them in the time in which he's living, which would now be the time in which we're living. So by the time we come to the end of chapter 6, he's explaining to people, you should not be so concerned about your life that you're worried about it, not believing that God can take care of you. And he gives the illustration. He says, if God can take care of the vegetation, like the flowers, and if the Lord could look after the fowls of the air, meaning the birds, you being better than all these things, that, that's an important word, that, that word better, because we, we don't ever want to forget that the human species is greater than all other kinds of creation on this planet. But you being better, how much more will your heavenly father look after you? But then he, he, he turns the, the discussion to something different and he tells, tells the folks, okay, don't judge so that you won't be judged. And that's, that's usually where it stops. People have that memorized. And if they practice a behavior that you do not like, 
or they're saying something that you don't particularly care too much, then the first thing that people will say, well, you shouldn't be judgmental. You know, kids will tell that to their parents sometimes. If the parents have observed that the kid's behavior has changed because they have been spending an excessive amount of time with some other young people who have had some bad influences on them. And so mom and dad might say something like, well, I've noticed that in the last last three or four months since you've been spending time with her or since you've been spending time with him, all of a sudden now you're a bit more disrespectful. You're missing classes. You're up late on the phone, missing curfew and stuff like that. So I don't want you to spend that much time with that person. I don't want you at their house and I don't want them over here. Well, mom, you're being judgmental. Dad, you're being judgmental. Well, possibly. However, as we'll look when we examine this with with detail, making judgments is not bad and it's not sinful. You have to make judgments every day. Every day you have to make some kind of decision with respect to what you want to do or do not want to do. How you want to approach a situation or do not want to approach a situation. And what goes along as the foundation of judgment is wisdom and an understanding heart. And if God gives understanding and he gives wisdom, then he gives you the facility now to be able to decide or to judge between what is right and what is wrong. And once we lose that ability or if we no longer uh, even grow into that, Ability, then that becomes an even greater problem. So let's look at it here again. Don't judge so that all of you won't be judged. And then it goes on for whatever judgment you apply. That's how it's going to be measured to you. So the Lord goes, he goes further. He's not saying you're not allowed to apply judgment at all. He just said, don't judge people in a manner that you would not want it applied to you. The same rules and standards and principles that govern your life. If you're going to have those in your life, then you can apply them to somebody else, but do not tell other people to do something or don't do something, and you don't do it. It would be like saying to somebody that you need to be here 15 minutes early for work every day, but you get there 15 minutes late every day. It would be like saying to somebody, you need to make sure that you don't clock out early, but then you clock out early every day. And and these principles are, are important. The, the judgment whereby we are judged is going to be in equal measure to how we apply it to somebody else. So according to Jesus in verse, verse 2, the ability to judge is there. Certain people in certain situations should be judged. They should. If, if you have somebody who is, uh, how we want to say it, if you have somebody who's dressing inappropriately on the job, okay, or you have people that are acting a way that is unbecoming of a representative of the family or the job, then somebody has to sit down and speak with them. And the one thing about being in any position of leadership where you have to deal with people that are under you in any kind of subordinate uh, role at all, you have to be willing for confrontation. If you don't like confrontation, it's better not to ever be in charge of somebody or a group of people. Anytime you get two parties or more and they got to somehow work together, you're going to on some issue, there's going to be a conflict in personality. And when that conflict occurs, 
the only way it's going to be resolved, somebody has to make a judgment call. So you had to make a judgment call tonight whether or not you want to come to Bible study or stay at home. You had to decide this morning whether or not you wanted to get up and uh, go to work or lay there in bed a little bit longer. You have to have to make a decision every time you have an argument with your spouse whether or not you want to just continue in this or wave the white flag and let's call for the lawyer. You've got decisions you have to make. And the Lord said, don't, don't apply to somebody else something you won't apply to your own life. Now, my, my, my folks who, who were not Christian at all, my, my mom and dad, when I was a little kid, they, they liked to use, um, they liked to use words, uh, special words for emphasis, you know? And, and these words that they were, that they would use, they were words I wasn't allowed to use. That, that kind of a thing. And, and so, um, if, if ever my brothers or me, if we used the word we weren't supposed to use, then of course what we heard was, boy, if I ever hear you say that again. See? See? If I ever hear you say that again. But they talk like that all the time. Okay? They, they had a standard that for them was permissible with that kind of behavior, but for us as little people, they didn't think it was permissible. And the way my, my mom really learned this and, and came to understand that the whole thing, the, the way I was picking up on this and, and, and interacting with her, it was wrong. It was, it was when we had a Mother's Day deal and I went down to the Five and Dime store and I bought her a necklace. And, and I had heard bad language so much in my life that when I gave the man my little a quarter or 50 cents, and he took the necklace and held it up, and I said, yes, that's the one I want, and he wrapped it up, put it in a little cheap box, and put a little bow around it, and I was just tickled pink that I could go home and give that to mom, and she t- she took that, and then she opened it up and looked, and, and here was a necklace, and, and right there in the center of it was a cuss word. And and then then, <laughs> then mama realized, okay, we got a problem here, because this this is a bit too normal if the little seven-year-old thinks that that, that this is this is okay. But imagine how much of that goes on in this world where there are rules for one group of people that are different than for other people. Jesus tells us when it even comes to the Pharisees, do as they say, but not as they do. Because many of us, we know how to live better, how to talk better, how to act better, but we don't do these things very often around a lot of people. A lot, especially around the people who need the example. So verse two, the Lord says, for with what judgment you judge. That's how you're going to be judged. Don't say to someone you shouldn't commit adultery if you're carrying on an affair. Don't, don't say to someone, well, I, I know the scripture is the most authoritative thing in the life of a believer. But then you won't permit the Bible to be the final authority in your own life. That's what Jesus is saying here. The exact same measure will be applied to you. And this is how it comes back. People will say this to you. Well, I thought you were a Christian. Ever heard that? Oh, my goodness. You're a pastor. I thought you were a Christian. See, what they're saying is, I don't think your actions in this circumstance line up with my idea of what a Christian is. And as a pastor, if... You know, my, my whole 
Business is telling people what to do and what not to do and how to live and how not to live and trying to encourage people to do this and do and do that. So if, if ever I don't live up to what I'm saying, there are a whole lot of people who've heard me preach over the years and they like to remind me of what I've said. I think I've, uh, whenever when I'm traveling, I'll tell the people that I'm preaching to about how when Tiff and I get into it, then Tiff... She'll uh, she'll say, I don't I don't want to talk to you right now. I want to talk to Pastor Daryl. That's what she says. I don't want to talk to you right now. I want to talk to Pastor Daryl. And, and so I said, well, if you want to talk to Pastor Daryl, you better call him on the telephone. I mean, she'll pick the cell phone up in the car while she's right next to me. And she'll call and I answer that phone. I said, well, well, hey, how you doing? It's Pastor Daryl. How can I help you? And then she'll say, Pastor, so-and-so's going on. My husband's doing this and he, he won't, you know, could you, could you what, what do you think I should do? And I said, well, you know, you know how guys are. They're stubborn and they, they don't listen to the Lord all the times and follow, follow the scripture. So here's how you handle that. And if necessary, I'll have a talk with him, if, you know, if I, if I need to. We'll get off the phone and she'll say, well, well, my pastor said, and I'll say, I don't care what your pastor said. He don't pay any bills around here. That's what I tell her. You know? <laughs> but 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 Tiffany has a Rolodex in her mind of the thousands of sermons she's heard me preach and teach. And she doesn't mind recalling them. I'm telling you, she doesn't mind recalling them. What is she doing? Applying the same measurement and judgment to my life that I apply to ours and to other people's. That, that is the one thing that'll keep us all honest. Now, you, you tell me of all, all the, when, when you were raising kids, how many times did your kids remind you of something you taught them? Or you said to them, and then it's like, oh my goodness. Then immediately conviction comes. So the Lord says in verse number three, why is it that you you notice the little splinter that's in your brother's eye, but but you don't see that that big log that's in yours? Now, you've got to be up close to somebody and notice something in their eye. Okay, it's like looking at a piece of lint in somebody's hair or on somebody's garment. If if you can and, and all Jesus is saying with this figure of speech is you you latch on to something that is insignificant and small in somebody else's life and you want them to change it, but yet you can't see the areas in your own life that need to be modified. That's what he said. And there are there are people who are very good at working on other people. Yeah. We we have those little T-shirts to say, uh, "I'm a you know under construction." You know we all have those because God's working on all of us. But but there are some people that like construction work, but they like it being done on somebody else. And we like helping build somebody else's building, so we don't mind coming to you saying, "Well, you know, I I have noticed that, you know, you are a little lazy, you know, and and maybe maybe you ought to work on that, you know, just and you you do eat a lot." You just cut back on somebody. You you don't have to eat a whole loaf of bread, you know, at the meal time, and, and that kind of a thing. And when a, when a person begins to notice those small things in a person's life, then Jesus is saying the focus on that hinders us from being able to see what's wrong with us. And this occurs. It's like James chapter one when the scripture says that we're like the person who looks into a mirror and then we walk away from the mirror, then we forget what we look like, what our reflection is. Yeah, there are many people who will, who will listen to a teaching 
or a sermon or some kind of a message. And the whole time they're hearing it, they don't hear what God is saying for them. They're saying, well, you know, so-and-so needs to be here today. They're talking on, he, he needs to be here to hear this, see. Because they're not thinking about themselves. They're not saying, well, God, how, how can you work on me and how can you make Make me a better person. So verse verse number four, then he says, or how will you say to your brother, let me pull out the moat that's in your eye and behold, there's a beam in your own. So now in verse four, he said, you're moving beyond just recognizing someone has a problem. Now you come to the point where you want to fix them. And some people want to fix other people. They want to fix them. I mean, just fix them according to how. How they want them to be. And Jesus, he, he's strong here because he says there's a possibility that there's a moat or a log in our own eye. We've got to pay attention to that. You know, you've heard somebody say before, you point your finger at somebody else, you've got several other fingers pointing back at you. There's, there's a lot of truth to that. Now, now let's work on something else because in all of this, people will say to you, this is why. You are not allowed to judge people's conduct or judge what people are doing. Let's go to First uh, Corinthians chapter 2. Now, I've got to teach some balance here to understand what it is that the, that the Lord is after with us. First uh, Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with verse number 12. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now, the only way you can do comparisons between something that's spiritual and not spiritual, or two things that are spiritual, God has to give you the the wisdom to be able to discern the difference between red and orange, see, Uh, blue and yellow. I've told you before, you turn the lights out, and in the dark, all colors agree. See, All colors agree. But but comparisons have to do with judgments. Uh, A kid has to be able to recognize the different colors in order to be able to get the answers right on the test. The little kid has to be able to take the, the right kinds of squares and put them inside the right kind of squares in, in order for everything to work and operate. That's a matter of judgment. That's comparison. So notice verse verse number uh, 14. But the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Another word for judgment, discerned. But he that is spiritual... Does what? Judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. So here we have clear proof from the Apostle Paul that a spiritual person who knows the word of God and knows God and is led by the spirit of God, full of the Holy Ghost, walking with God and in wisdom, they're going to judge everything. That means they're paying attention. They have their eyes wide open. Verse 16, who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. What is the point of renewing our mind and having the mind of Christ to make judgment calls, to discern, to practice various forms of discrimination? Remember, all discrimination isn't wrong. So what's wrong is if you are opposed to somebody because of the color of their skin. However, to practice discrimination just simply means to 
move in judgment and in discernment. If you listen to someone who is giving you a riddle and you're trying to figure out what the solution to the riddle is, you have to practice or make use of your powers of discrimination to try to come to the solution. If somebody gives you one of those questions like they used to give the kids in school, you know, if the train starts off going west in one particular direction and it's going 30 miles per hour, then somebody else is going another direction and they're going 60 miles per hour. What time is everybody going to get this? Yeah, all of that is a matter of judgment, discernment and discrimination. You're trying to look at things and come to a right conclusion. And in a church and in a family and on the job, you are never going to be outside of that. God has to give you wisdom to be able to see what's going on, to know what is right and what is wrong. Now, let's go to John, Gospel of John, chapter number nine. The Gospel of John, chapter number nine. There's a blind man who has been healed. And. Jesus found him at the end of the chapter, and the man ended up worshiping Jesus in verse 38. But notice verse 39, John 9, 39. And Jesus said, for judgment, I am coming to this world, that they which do not see might see, and that they which do see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? Jesus said to them, if 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 all of you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. So Jesus is saying to them that the fact that you have rejected light implies that the light that is within you is darkness. And you're too blind to even know it. It's like talking to a person who knows everything. They have an answer to everything. You ever met somebody like that? They know everything. They don't ever have a question. They know everything. And when a person you're talking to says they don't need Christ and they don't believe in the Bible and all of that, then the scripture is making it plain. Whatever light that they have on the inside of them, even that is darkness. And it's terrible to abide in darkness and not know that you're in darkness and then think that you're walking in the light. It's like like the bird that's been raised in the... uh, these little places to keep all the little animals and stuff like that. Petco and all them stuff like that with them commercials. You know, a bird that's been in a cage all his life doesn't know anything about freedom. I mean, to fly from one side of the cage two or three feet over to the other side of the cage, that's all they know. But that little bit of freedom they have, that's what they enjoy. But you get some some bird that has soared, and then you take that bird that's lived out in the open air in the spaces of the heavens, and you put that bird in a cage, it'll probably be dead in a very short time. Yeah, very short time. So so Jesus, he gives us this illustration, and let's come back to Matthew 9. I want you to go to Matthew 23, because I, I need you to see that even though Jesus is telling folks, However you judge, it's going to be applied to you. Let's listen and let's see how he put it into effect. Matthew 23, verse number one. He spoke to the disciples and he said, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Everything they bid you to observe, observe and do, but don't do after their works, for they say and do not. You ever met somebody like that? That's. That happens. For they bind heavy burdens, grievous to be born, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. So they are not helpers. That's what he said. 
These people, they make it hard for you to serve God. Verse number five. All, they work, all their works they do to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. So now we have, we have people who want praise and they want acknowledgement. A phylactery is a box that Orthodox Jews today put on their foreheads. You'll see them sometimes when they're praying. They'll even have them on their hands. You'll see them all wrapped up there. And the box is here. There's one here. And inside the box are scriptures on little small pieces of paper. You say, why do they do that? They're trying to keep the commandment literally in Deuteronomy 6, where it says, bind the word upon the frontlets of your eyes. So they put them here. Bind them upon the doorpost of your house so you go to one of their houses and up in the corner, they've got these little boxes for good luck. See, they, They're taking it literally. And the scripture here says they were making them bigger. Now imagine that. When, when they have found amongst the uh, relics of the Dead Sea Scrolls different sizes of boxes that people use for prayer. And then it talks about the borders of the garments, the, the fringes or the hems of the garments very often were decorative and, and, and they too had everything to do with uh, displaying somebody's supposed holiness or relationship with God. It's kind of like when you, when you watch preachers uh, that wear robes, you know, put these robes on. Now you, you can buy some very elaborate kinds of robes. Yeah. You can get them in flashy colors and you, you can get them where they're long and it's just about dragging the, the floor. And some of them have a long train behind them. You can get them where they have the long sleeve and, and, and they're broad and like that. So when you're moving and flowing in the pulpit or when you're running down the aisle real fast to get to the pulpit, it just looks like you're floating in the midst of the congregation. And then you go to the top of the pulpit and begin to teach. And, and all of that is impressive to people, some people. But verse six, they love the uppermost feasts or, or places at the feast. They want to be greeted in the marketplace. These special names, most holy, reverend, august, father, Sutton. So grateful to have you at our home today. That, you know, that kind of a thing. But, but he, he says here in, in verse eight, don't, don't be called rabbi. You know, Jesus, you know, you got one master. He says, don't call anybody your father because you just got one of those. That's the one, your heavenly father. Don't call anybody your master. You've just got one of those, even Christ. But notice here in verse 13 where he starts, here the judgment comes again. He's he starting with these adjectives. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now, there's a whole generation of people that don't think Jesus ever used a word like that in talking to people. But he did. Hypocrites, you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. What is a hypocrite? A hypocrite, the, the, the word, the, the suffix, the latter part of the word, the, the crit part. That's where we get our English word critic. What's a critic? A person passing judgment. Food critic? Movie critic? Yeah. Somebody writing book reviews? These people are passing judgment on what they see. What is a hypocrite? A hypocrite was somebody who in ancient Greece was somebody who got up on stage and pretended to be somebody they were not. Today we call them an actor or an actress. 
They did it with the dramas and the tragedies. By the Roman times, when Jesus was around, the word hypocrite was used for the people who would get up and then they would still do the staged theatrical things, but they put a mask on. See? And the Latin word for the mask was persona, which is where we get our English word for. So when we talk about a hypocrite, we're talking about a person who pretends to be something that they're not. Someone who, who, who conveys something about themselves that is not necessarily true, and the people who are watching don't have the, the necessary faculties of judgment to be able to determine who it is that is actually playing a role. See, at least in ancient Greece, they didn't have the masks on, so you kind of knew who it was that was playing the different, different roles, but unless you knew the body types when they put the mask on in Roman time, you had no idea who was so-and-so or who was so-and-so. So now then... Jesus says to the scribes and Pharisees, they're hypocrites because they have no desire to open up the kingdom of heaven so the people can go in. And then he says in verse 13, you, you, you don't even go in. So he just told a, a group of people that not only are you keeping people out of the kingdom of God, you yourselves are not in. How do you think that went over? Yeah. Yeah, you're going through all of this religious stuff, and, and Jesus, God in the flesh, says to them, you're not even saved. That, 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 that's rough. Yeah, and, but, but this is the man that everybody says, God is love, and he doesn't judge people. See? Verse 14, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer, therefore you shall receive the greater damnation. Very religious, hypocrites, but taking advantage of widows. Why would this be problematic? In ancient times, there was no social security. There was no welfare. A widow was sustained, if she had children, by her sons, or if husband had died, then by her brother. Depending on how young she was and how old the husband was when he died, possibly by her father. See, see, unlike today, with, with everybody getting Social Security and all these other benefits and things that come along and retirement and everything like that, many grandparents and parents, they don't even have to have a relationship with their kids if they don't want to. They don't even have to talk to them. Because if they're getting enough income at the end of their life where they have no need of their relative, they don't even have to talk to them or, or be involved with them at all. But in ancient times, you raised your kids to look after you when you got older. So that engenders a strong relationship where you're putting up and tolerating, tolerating people's faults and problems because you know there's a very strong possibility that one day they're going to need to look after you. So this this is why Jesus said these religious folks were taking advantage of the widows because they knew they were in need and they were taking what money they could. Can you imagine how wicked these people were? So he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, verse 15, you, you hypocrites, you compass sea and land to make a proselyte. So they're doing evangelism. But when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. That, that's evangelism gone wrong. <laughs> that's, that's evangelism going wrong. Yeah. Now, now, this is Jesus saying this, okay? This is why I'm reading this in connection with Matthew 7, because the relationship has to be there. Jesus says we shouldn't judge without the acknowledgement that how we judge others, that's how it's going to be applied to us. And then we see him putting it into effect. 
See, putting it into effect. Twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. How would you like to have been on the receiving end of that sentence? Woe to you blind guides which say whoever swear by the temple it's nothing, but whoever swear by the gold of the temple he is debtor. Ye fools and blind, what's greater? The gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? The gold. So in the next few verses, they're going to put the emphasis on money rather than on holy things. And, and the Lord is saying this is part of the problem. Notice verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you pay tithe and mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Here are the weightier matters. Judgment, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done and not to leave the other undone. So verse 23, you can see where the Lord acknowledges the paying of tithes. And he says it should be done. But then he also goes on to say that the judgment, mercy and faith are weightier matters. Every day of your life, you're going to have to make decisions. You're going to have to make judgments. I'm not going to go through. All of this, because you can see as you read down through the rest of the chapter, that he has some pretty strong words. Verse 25, he said, they make clean the outside of the cup, but inside they're full of extortion and excess. See, from from appearances, they look holy and everything's good. But he says, when I look down inside there, I see nothing but wickedness. Verse 27, you appear Beautiful on the outside, but you're like a whited sepulcher and within you're full of dead men's bones. Oh, my. I'm telling you, Jesus is a bad man. I love him. I love him. Let's go back to Matthew 7. Goodness. So you can see why the carnal mind and why the world and why editors and people who don't believe in God, why they would want to go through Matthew 23 and start saying that those verses aren't really true to Scripture or true to who Jesus is. And, and and that's why sometimes in modern versions, you'll run into little statements where they say, well, this wasn't part of the original ancient version. And the reason for that is because the carnal mind does not want to have an image of a Jesus who is displeased with our behavior. Everybody wants people to be happy with them. I would. But we, we have to be honest when it when it comes to the way that we live our life. With, with scripture, if I'm doing something that's contrary to the word of God, I need someone to tell me what I'm doing is contrary to the word of God rather than allowing me to continue in it and then helping me build a religion around my sin by saying, well, my God isn't like that. Well, what you need to learn is who the God of scripture is and build your life around the God of scripture rather than fabricating in your mind or allowing, you know, other people fabricate in their mind the kind of God that they want. Now, I know if, if, if I had to make up a religion, I would make up one where somebody went and died for somebody else's sins. I, I'd, I'd have something where we'd be on some island in Hawaii and, um, you know, the, the, the greatest sin would be is if you had to actually get up and go to work, you know. And, and and I'd have it so that, you, you you know, you wouldn't even have to kill the animals. The animals would just come and just die in front of you and then instantly turn into a meal. I mean, I mean, I, I'd do something like that if I'm going to create a religion. Uh, my God would be the kind of God that didn't even know what anger was. That's the kind of God I'd make up. But 
We have to deal with the one that's true and holy and pure and governs our life. And when we come back here to verse number five, he says, cast out the beam out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to cast out the mote in your brother's eye. If I spend the bulk of my time working on me, it's not really a whole lot of time for me to work on you. Is that true? Yeah. If 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 I require work, so I'm going to have to assume if if there are people in this world who spend most of their time working on other people, they must feel like they don't need any work. Yeah. And if 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 someone is that perfect and they do not need any kind of construction in their life, then I guess they would spend all their time working on somebody else. But the Lord says, if I first get the the beam out of my own eye, then I can work on somebody else. But then this leads to a whole whole new question, which is once I recognize there's a, a log in my eye, how do I get it out? See, once I have acknowledged there's something wrong with me. What should I do to get rid of this stuff? You know? Well, one thing we can do is repentance, you know, repentance to say to God, Lord, I have just really come to see that the problem is really not them or her or him, but it's me. Father, forgive me. That, that's one way. Typically, when a person is ensnared to the point that, that they're blind and unable to see, they usually, they usually can't fix themselves. They need somebody else to come pray with them and help them and bless them. It's like the person that has cataracts. You know, you usually can't get cataracts out on your own. And if you've got cataracts in your eyes, then you know what usually happens. Sometimes, you know, you see in spots, and depending on where the cataract is, if it's right in the center of your eye, then sometimes whoever's right in front of you, you can't see them that well, but your peripheral is, is pretty clear. Then sometimes if you're staring at a wall and it's white or a white screen, if you got cataracts, sometimes you'll see floaties and stuff going by and you're trying to figure out what's what's happening. I know that happens because it happens to me. I'll sit there sometime. There'll be a wall there and I'm sitting there minding my own business. And, and suddenly I reach out to do like that, to swing at a gnat. That's not a gnat. That's something floating by my eyes. Then I realize, oh, my, look, that's 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 a problem. Well, once we recognize there's a problem, then we can talk to the king about bringing the healing. Yeah. And if I know that I have a log in my eye, that's going to help me temper my personality and my speech towards somebody else. Because I realize it's not that I'm as bad as him or her. I may be worse off. Yeah. And the scripture says in Galatians that if a brother or sister falls into Temptation, ye which are spiritual, restore them, considering yourself, lest you also fall into the, the same thing. So in verse number six, uh, Matthew is telling us, he says, don't give that which is holy to the dogs. That's what he says. Or to swine. Don't put your pearls before swine. Why would we not want to do that? Well, number one, because in the, the, the nature of the, of the animals, the dogs and the swine have no ability to discern between what's holy and unholy anyhow. It's not within them to know. It would be like you taking a, a, a beautiful 
set of crystal and putting it in the hands of an infant. And then after the infant has sat there on the floor and just banged it and banged it and smashed it in the smithereens. And you come in there yelling and screaming and you're the one that gave it to the infant. The infant didn't know it was precious to you or priceless. No ability to know. So when you when you talk about dogs and swine, which according to the Old Testament law, were very unclean. He says, don't take something holy and give it to something that's unholy and expect a good outcome. Never going to happen. Never is going to happen. <clears throat> you, you take a in the, in the large cities. I've seen where churches, in order to raise a little extra money, they'll rent out their sanctuary. OK, not, not to people in the church, but. Just different people in the community want to use it for different venues. And and so they'll, they'll come in there to what's supposed to be like a fellowship hall or something like that. And they'll throw a cabaret party in there. And the church, you know, church will charge them eight or nine thousand dollars. So they're thinking about the profit and the income that's going to come in. But then when they go in there that next day and they see how much liquor has been consumed and how much has been spilt all over the floor and the chairs that have been broken and the windows that have been cracked then people wonder, well, you would have thought they would understand this is a church. How could they come in and break all this stuff that belongs to other people? Because they're not saved. So you can't expect people that are Christian to act in a Christian way when you give them Christian thing because it's not in their nature to be that way. That's what he's saying. Don't take something that's holy and give it to the dogs. Don't put your pearls before swine, they'll trample them. Now, I, I've never had hogs, but I've heard a whole lot of stories about them from you folks out here and then from my own family members who were raised on a farm. And, and it, it does seem to me like they'll eat about anything, just about anything. And it doesn't matter what it is. You, you, you put it all in there and they just slosh all around in there and just devour it. They don't care. Tiff and I one time took some kids down to Mexico, do some ministry. And I saw, I saw some sows that were uh, eating uh, an old dead donkey carcass. Can you imagine? Just, I mean, just devour. I mean, they're just digging in, having the time of their life. In one church where we preached in Mexico, the church was in the middle of the garbage dump. I mean, this is where the city brought all of the garbage. There were people that lived out there. And, and, and where we were preaching that, you could look right out the window. There wasn't a window. Just look right out the hole down and see these mounds of garbage. And all of these pigs just, just going from one mound to the other, eating and eating. Now, if you, you, you take some pearls and give them to some swine, what are they going to do with those pearls? They don't even know what they are. This is what Jesus' teaching essentially is. If you take what is holy and give it to someone that doesn't know God, then they're going to trample it, they're going to desecrate it, and then give it a little bit of time, they'll turn on you. Now you see this in churches all the time. When, when churches want to imitate the world, bring the world into the church in order to try to pacify young people and people that are in the church. And what usually happens is a pastor realizes, okay, the folks are getting restless. 
These people are constantly arguing and, 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 and they're mad because they can't do this. So let's let's for the for the youth people, let's bring in the let's let's transform the youth room into something that almost looks like a bar. So we'll put in the bar stools and we'll put in the bar. We'll we'll, we'll let the person who's back there, you know, they won't serve alcohol, but they'll serve coke. But it'll just have that atmosphere and we'll put put the uh the lights in that have different colors and stuff like that. And then put the, the big ball up there that's got all the silver and then when it turns, all the lights are reflecting going in a different direction. And and they say, Okay, well that'll help the young people so that they'll feel like, you know, we're you're trying to reach them. But if you think about it, it's it's not that, that you've reached the world, the world has reached you. They've reached the church. And and when when that comes into the house of God, then pretty soon we begin to use these things as distractions. How can we keep everybody from being angry at one another? And once you get rid of the distraction and the fad changes and the trend moves away, then the people turn on one another or they turn on that preacher again. Here's what Jesus says in verse number six. Lest they trample them under their feet and then turn again and rend you. You're going to be the target eventually. Paul uses this language. He says sometimes Christians bite and devour themselves. They're carnivorous. The, the, the carnal mind wants to fight and wants to argue. But here we learn as believers that we're to do everything we can to, to keep that uh, at, a, at an all-time low. The adversary wants to get involved with every fellowship, every family, and the only way the devil can get into a church, he has to come in either wearing a pair of pants or a dress and a skirt. That's the only way he can get in. He, he, he will not come in just as a ghost. He has to have a body through whom he can manifest himself. Somebody to create a disturbance, somebody to spark division, somebody to produce animosity, somebody to become offended, somebody that will walk in unforgiveness. And once that begins to happen, I can promise you that's when the devil's going to have his way. So the Lord said, don't give that which is holy to the dogs. Uh, a man or woman that's not born again, should they really be on the board of a church? Should they really be in a pulpit preaching the gospel? Probably not. But but I've seen many occasions where people have become board members because they were good givers. Good givers. Lots of money. So somebody thought, well, you know, I mean, they're good at business. We don't want to be judgmental. So let's give them a position of authority, and before you know it, they have it, and then it, it, it turns out to be something that breaks a lot of people's hearts. Folks, God has given us an opportunity to live for him every day, and as I've shown you in the word, we've got to make decisions every day about what we do, how we live, so forth, but God doesn't want us to be the kind of judgmental people that are just angry and hostile, but if it's wrong, it's wrong. If it's right, we say it's right. That's how God is. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. There's nobody like you. We're so excited that you, oh Lord, give us truth continually as we look into the scripture. So more and more as we think about uh, these particular verses, we just ask you to help us grow stronger and stronger and stronger. And we're ever so grateful for how wonderful you are in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.